All right, we'll try this again. Matthew chapter 3 is where we're going to be. Um, but before we get to uh, Matthew 3, I want to pick up on um, one of the tendencies of Matthew as he writes uh, this, uh, this gospel. And that is several times already we have seen him refer to what's happening uh, because it is the fulfillment of prophecy. So if we just start in chapter 1, we're just going to flip through this. You don't have to turn unless you want to. But in chapter 1, uh, verse 22, uh, we're hearing about the birth of Jesus. And uh, we're hearing about the, the birth of Jesus. And we have this message in verse 22. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. On to chapter 2, we have in verse 4, And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. And he goes on to quote the prophet. If you go on down to, let's see, verse 17 of chapter 2. Herod, having find that he's been tricked by the wise men, becomes furious and finds out where they're going to be. Verse 17, it says, Then was fulfilled by what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted and so forth. And this referring to the grief of the death of those boys. On to verse 23 of chapter 2. And he went and lived in a city called Nazareth, that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled. So hearing all of this talk by Matthew in just these first two chapters about the prophets, what do you make of that? He's writing to Jews. Jews. Excellent. What else? He's making his case that this is the Christ, the one who has been spoken of throughout history, throughout the prophets. He knows what he's talking about. Say that again. He knows what he's talking about. He knows what the prophets had to say. So it's a testament that Matthew knows his history, that he's speaking to probably an educated audience, certainly um, people who've been steeped in uh, you know, teaching. Uh, those are all excellent points and, and all true. And to sum it all up, I think Matthew is making the case this is a big deal. This is God doing exactly what he said he was going to do. This is the culmination of a plan that has been in the works for a very, very long time. This is really good news. And that's the lead up to this. And, and in, in terms of preparing the way... Uh, that's what we're going to hear about today. 
We're going to hear today about John the Baptist. Those of you that have read ahead know this. Uh, you, could, you could definitely say that he was the last of the Old Testament prophets. Because when he's prophesying, uh, Calvary has not happened. The resurrection has not happened. He is an Old Testament prophet doing just what the rest of them did and preparing the way for someone bigger. So chapter 3 verse 1. In those days. In those days. So what were these days? In the history of Israel, where were we in this timeline? Where we were is that if we go back, you remember if our studies of Isaiah and Daniel, uh, there were the divided kingdoms, there was judgment on these kingdoms, um, there was exile, um, you know, conquering nations and in exile. We heard about the Assyrians and Babylonians and after the Babylonians there was that brief time when most of the world was unified under Alexander the Great. All this was happening and we know the story of Nehemiah and the, ba- the Israelites who were exiled in Babylon started to have these returns from exile and they did this in waves uh, of what was happening and this happened from four five six hundred BC all the way through the days of Malachi uh, where there was still return from the land and then we have these 400 years between the last prophecies in Malachi until until now this day in in Israel a lot had happened uh, there was, you know, the, the aftermath of Alexander the Great and those four generals that were fighting back and forth over, over uh, the land of Palestine. Egypt was in the mix. You remember all this. Syria was in the mix. And then in the 60s B.C., Rome took over. Prior to this, there was back and forth about who was going to be in charge of um, uh, the temple and, and all that was going on and so this was a period of great unrest you may have read about the Maccabean revolt um, about 150 to 200 BC uh, there was a really wicked guy that that came against the Jews uh, made them all eat pigs sacrifice swine on the altar of the temple uh, it was horrible uh, this is great history, and I'll be putting a link to a pretty good source of this in the um, on the website uh, if you want to read about it. It's really fascinating stuff. Uh, there was this guy, Matthias. He had several sons, and in succession, they came up in revolt, later called the Maccabean Revolt, uh, to try to establish some purity, um, to uh, reconcentrate the temple, uh, consecrate the temple, and so forth. But by the time we get to these days leading up to when it says in those days, it had been a really, really long time since God had spoken directly to his people. They had been under numerous leaders, uh, some of whom had no clear authority, some who did. Um, It's in this intertestamental period, as it's sometimes called, that these factions have developed, the, the Sadducees who were all about um, being controlled of the priesthood. 
during this time, the concept of synagogues had popped up um, for study. Um, uh, the Pharisees and the scribes were kind of in charge of those. Uh, so there was a divided um, religious point of view. Uh, it, it was very political. Um, uh, even the spiritual leaders were corrupted by how closely they were aligned with the Romans and so forth. It was just badness all around. So when it says, in those days, that's the mess that was going on. So if you don't really appreciate what in those days meant, you really don't get why the message of John the Baptist was so amazing. So, in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Jerusalem. So, we've gone from the birth of Jesus, boom, the onset of John the Baptist. Thank goodness Luke tells us a little bit about John the Baptist. So go ahead and flip over to Luke chapter 1. You guys know this. You should all know that Luke chapter 2 is what we would commonly call the Christmas story. And then it's easy to figure out that Luke chapter 1 is everything leading up to that. And that includes this wonderful story of John the Baptist. So very quickly, Luke gets into the story. Um, verse 5. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. They were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now, think how crazy this is. You have Zechariah, and his wife, they were walking blameless in the commandments and statutes of the Lord. Do you think it was easy to walk blameless in the statutes and commandments of the Lord, given the description that I gave you of what all was going on then? I don't think so. In spite of the fact that he was a priest, so he was under the authority, so to speak, of this priestly line of the chief priests who were overly cozy with the Sadducees, who were overly cozy with the Romans, but yet in spite of that, he was navigating all these crazy politics, and yet he and Elizabeth were doing their thing, walking blamelessly before God. That was a lot. Verse 8, now while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. Now we haven't talked a lot about the temple, but we've talked a lot about the tabernacle, and the same the same tools, the same lampstands, everything else is still there, the same concept. So he's doing his thing. We've, we, we know what that is like now. Verse 10, And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside the hour of incense, and there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. Zechariah was troubled. It wasn't every day that Zechariah went into this area. So he probably was, you know, this was a big deal. So when you do this, you know, I'm sure he had compared notes with other priests who had gone before him. All right, what do I do? What should I expect? How do I do my thing? How do I do my duty? Uh, probably the concept of an angel hanging out waiting for you was probably not part of the prep talk. So he walks in, 
and it says Zechariah was troubled when he saw them. Now, I think Luke cleaned it up a little bit. It was probably quite troubled. He was freaking out, and it does say fear fell upon him. I think that's Greek for freaking out. <laughs> Verse 13, but the angel said to him, do not be afraid. How many times do, when God starts talking uh, or giving a message that says, don't be afraid, because it's really scary. Um, do not be afraid, for your prayer has been answered. Your wife, Elizabeth, is going to bear you a son. And here's where we start to hear the first words about John the Baptist. Verse 15, he will be great before the Lord. He must not drink wine or strong drink. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And what's he going to do? He will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. If that's not one of the most amazing introductions of someone ever, then I don't know. I mean, that is just amazing. Here's what's going to happen. This is going to be a special, special child. So that's who John the Baptist was. And then you can't... You can't really talk about John the Baptist without thinking of what he's going to do. It said he's going to come in the spirit and power of Elijah. Elijah, well-known prophet, calling toward repentance. Um, there's a great story. Um, in fact, it's in the notes. There's a reference. Uh, we know that Elijah wore um, a logos and, and dressed in camel hair, and we'll see that echoed in John the Baptist in the scripture section where you find out um, uh, about those uh, his garb um, uh, you also hear some a really cool military story um, which we probably won't have time to, to talk about but I would uh, definitely uh, recommend let's see it's I think it's first Kings anyway I'll, I'll have the reference but uh, Oh, here it is. So these messengers go to the king. The king has gotten sick. And uh, I forget which king this was. The king has gotten sick, and he says, go and ask Baal how this is going to turn out. Right? And so word gets to um, Elijah, and they say, go back to the king who sent you and say to him, thus says the Lord, is it because there is no God in Israel that you are sending to inquire of Baal, the God of Ekron? Therefore you shall not come down from the bed to which you have gone up, but you shall surely die. <laughs> so, yeah, it's just such a sarcastic little snarky comment. You know, is, is it because there were, you, we were out of gods that now you had to go to Baal? Is that why? You know, because the God's not here? And uh, it gets really humorous even after that. So um, that is... Second Kings chapter 1. Yeah. Anyway, so, in the spirit and power of Elijah. So, the whole point of John the Baptist is he is preparing the way. We're going to see that. But, right now, we're still in chapter 1 of Luke. Zechariah has heard what this child's going to 
do what he's going to be like. Zechariah, who's been in the midst of this corruption, who has wanted to follow the Lord, who has studied the prophets, who knows that, you know, of the abominations that have happened at the temple, who knows just how horrible it is right now, he has firsthand knowledge that it's going to, you know, it's, it's going to get better. God is moving. And so we have this amazing prophecy from, Isaiah, from Zechariah in Luke 1, verse 67, 68. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us and the house of his servant David. As he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from old, that we should be saved from our enemies, from the hand of all who hate us. And again, think of the context, all the different rulers they've had, all the persecution that they've endured. Clearly, when he says, from the hand of all who hate us, there were people that were really hating on them, for sure. To show the mercy promised to our fathers to remember his holy covenant. They knew the covenants, right? We've been talking about covenants. Do you think they were starting to wonder? It had been 400 years. Do you think they were starting to wonder, has God forgotten us? He says, no, he is not. I won't read the rest, but in verse 7 it says, You will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of the salvation to his people, and the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness, and then the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit. And he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. So, verse 77, I'm being corrected. Back to Matthew 3. Verse 1. In those days, John the Baptist talked about in Jones in those days we talked about John the Baptist he came preaching in the wilderness of Judea so we just learned from Zechariah's prophecy that he was in the wilderness uh, until now there's a lot we can surmise uh, we know that Mary and Elizabeth were relatives um, cousins we would assume uh, you would assume if if it was uh, close enough um, in proximity for Mary to go visit Elizabeth, um, then, then probably John and Jesus knew each other as, as boys, um, probably were aware of what's going on. Um, but in any event, somehow John um, finds his way into the desert, into the wilderness. And here we are in verse 3 of Matthew 3. For this is he who was spoken by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. So here we have this phrasing again by Matthew. This is what was spoken by the prophet. Verse 4, Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locust and wild honey. So, if, if you're in Jerusalem and you hear about 
Have you guys heard about this prophet on the other side of the Jordan? He's been in the wilderness. They say he is wearing nothing but camel's hair. He's eating locusts and wild honey. He's a little rough around the edges. But boy, is he preaching up a storm. If you knew your Bible like most Jews did, all those little code words, even if the word Elijah had not been mentioned, all those little code words are clicking. They're clicking. Oh, wow, that sounds like Elijah. Verse 5, Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. So let's talk a little bit about this. So baptism was not um, a foreign thing uh, back then. There, uh, there was this concept of, of baptism. Uh, in most cases, uh, probably the most familiar things were, were two things. One was uh, there were a lot of ceremonial cleansings, right? So the concept that, that you would you know, put, pour water over yourself um, to, to signify ceremonial cleansing, that was certainly known uh, through the days of Leviticus and so forth. Um, but then also there was a custom about um, uh, becoming um, uh, a Jewish proselyte, uh, um, a Gentile who decides, I want to I be a Jew. So there would be uh, a baptism um, where the, the convert would, would baptize him or herself, basically saying, uh, I'm going to be a Jew. And, and if you're a guy, you had to do two things. You had to do the circumcision, and then you had to do the baptism. But it was not super common for someone to baptize you, right? Uh, you would go through the ceremonial cleansings, but that was something you kind of did to yourself. Uh, this was a little bit unusual that you were going out and hearing this person's message and then being baptized. So it's very clear that if you did that, you were identifying with this person's uh, message. Um, he was preaching repentance. And it says, And they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Again, this had been a time of corruption. Uh, people had really gone astray. The, the Sadducees especially uh, were counting on kind of being part of that priestly line, uh, really putting all their marbles, so to speak, in the fact that they were in the lineage of, the, of God's promises, and that was going to be enough to keep them right with God. In other words, they were going to connect with God through heredity. The Pharisees were basically saying, we're keeping the rules. The scribes kind of helped interpret some of the rules, and the Pharisees kind of um, uh, adopted those rules, and they felt like they were going to achieve righteousness, not because of their connection with the priesthood, who they considered corrupt, but they were going to connect with God because of their own righteousness in keeping the law. So in neither of those two paths to God did the concept of sin have to be dealt with. So when people were coming and people repenting and confessing their sins, 
This is a third path that doesn't involve any of those two groups. And that's the setup to verse 7 when it says, But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father, for I tell you, God is able to raise these stones up as children for Abraham. One of the advantages of using a translation that most of you guys don't use is that when I scramble words, you probably don't catch it, but I just did. <laughs> Verse 10. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So he's speaking directly to this group. You brood of vipers. What are you doing here? What are you doing here? Because, you know, you know why are you doing here? And he's saying your, your claim, we have Abraham as our father. He's saying that is not enough. That is not enough. He said, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. In other words, all right, you're out here. I know some of you guys have been wanting to be baptized, but if we're not seeing the fruit, then what you're doing is wrong. Um, it says, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And it says, even now the ax is laid to the root of the trees. The, the, there's a, a reference uh, Old Testament reference, but basically it's saying, look, what you're putting all your your hope in, the axe is already at the root of that tree. Uh, if this is if this is where you're putting your hope, um, yeah, it's this is not a good place for you to be. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So he's saying what you do matters. What you do matters. How you relate to God, how you deal with your sin matters. This concept of repentance to qualify for the kingdom of God was not, was not good news to them. Uh, it, was, uh, it was a different message for sure. Verse 11. John says, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand. He will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn up with unquenchable fire. So who is the wheat and who is the chaff? He's speaking directly to these religious folks and saying, God is going to come to the heart of the matter. To, to get the wheat from the chaff, a couple things had to happen, right? First of all, you had to beat the grain to, to separate, and by doing that, you would separate the the good part from the from the chaff and then you would toss it up on a windy day and the wind would blow the chaff away and we would fall back down so there's a process of uh, winnowing out the good and the bad and 
this this concept of there's a reckoning day coming for you guys um, was was new. It was probably welcome news to those who had been witness to the corruption. They they knew just how far uh, Israel had strayed, but that was the message. Someone is coming after me, and I'm I'm baptizing with water. That's all I got. But there's somebody coming who's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. This was great news. After 400 years, which we just finished Exodus, right? They had been in bondage for 400 years. Uh, there's so many parallels here. Um, it says making way of the Lord, making his path straight, one crying in the wilderness. Again, this same general territory where the Israelites finally made it into the promised land was where John the Baptist was preaching. It was the same general territory where the exiles from Babylon made their way back across the Jordan to get back into the promised land yet again. So symbolically, when you have a prophet on the other side of the Jordan preaching this concept of repentance, symbolically it's he's saying, I'm going to show you the story of how to get back to the promised land, how to get back to those promises of God. Maybe not <laughs> geographically this time, but certainly figuratively and spiritually, that's what was going on. All right, let me pause. Any questions on any of this? Absolutely. Well said. Uh, in fact, some of the same terminology, uh, brood of vipers, you're going to hear again um, from Jesus' lips this time. But uh, yes, that same, that same um, uh, conflict, that's, uh, that's excellent that you mentioned that because uh, as, as most of us know, um, Jesus' biggest um, and hardest uh, target group were the church people, right? They were the ones that were the enemies. They were the ones that conspired to put him to death. They were the ones that, but think about it, they were used to playing politics. They were used to playing rough. So dealing with Jesus as upstart from the backside of nowhere, uh, they thought they could handle him just like they had handled all the rest of these ever many decades. So that's, it, this was a rough and tumble world back then. It was, uh, as we would say, the wild, wild west. Doesn't that kind of Remind us of what's going on today. Does it remind us of what's going on today? Anybody want to say an amen to that? <laughs> um, in fact, that's a good segue to our close. Let's see. I thought I had some comments about that. The first part of chapter 3 quotes the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make way the, 
make, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. This is from Isaiah chapter 40. And this is one of those places, and we saw this when we went through Isaiah, that there, were, uh, there was prophecy, and then there was fulfillment, and then there was even future application. So we have this, this wonderful partial fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy where Isaiah, where rather um, John the Baptist coming in the spirit and power of Elijah is going to usher in uh, the Lord. Uh, but then we know that it's not all the way yet, right? Um, there's still some of what Isaiah prophesied that we're still waiting for. So um, I thought what I do, uh, we'll pray, and then uh, those of you that need to leave can leave, but then we're going to uh, wrap up with um, Isaiah 40, chapter 3, uh, as sung by um, folks doing the uh, Messiah. Father, we thank you for the way that you have this amazing, amazing story that just unfolds throughout history, and it's real-life stuff that addresses people where they are and after so many years uh, you came to this people and you offered them um, hope in the form of a messenger John the Baptist who Jesus said was the greatest person ever born but yet he was just the one to prepare the way for Jesus and we thank you for just the amazing grace that we can be a part of that story in jesus name amen thanks everybody so next week all about baptism so bring your questions about baptism